at Irregular Hours, episode 156 for March 23rd, 2021. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflo. And I'm Pam Bedore. We have reached the end of our ninth book in our book club, the first year of conversation. This one is Rassle by Jeff Smith, and this is Act 4, The Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla. La, la, la. Romance at the speed of light, my friends. Yes. We find <laughs> We were waiting out. for these journals, I tell you. <laughs> yes, yeah. The MacGuffin. Hey, look at this. We've we found the lost journals. There they are. They're in a Ziploc bag. The end. <laughs> well, that was my first question for you guys. So what did you think of this fourth portion of this uh, graphic novel? So this is my second reading of this graphic novel. Mm-hmm. And my first reading, I, I mentioned, I said, I think what ended up happening is Jeff Smith may have gotten tired of the material or it wasn't selling on the level he needed it to. And he just said, listen, I've just got to finish the story. And he jammed as much and as quick as much into the story and as quickly as he could get it out. I agree. You've been saying that since we started and I knew that it was coming, but boy, this act four really seems rushed. It really seems like we're just closing the loops on some of the tales and we're adding a little info dump about Tesla again. And, and here you go. Uh, Here's, here's act four. Yeah. I, I guess I felt the same way. And yes, Chip had prepared us, but I too was like, whoa, what about Tesla? So we do get even a little bit more deeply into Tesla. And I actually, you know, just looking around a little bit, you know, Tesla's one of these characters. It's almost a character instead of a historical figure. I, I feel agree. like there's so mm-hmm. many stories around Tesla. And so I actually just did a teeny bit of research to like remind myself, what, who is this guy actually versus how I think of him, you know, through popular culture. And I hadn't realized he spoke eight languages, claimed to have an eidetic memory. You know, obviously that's always a controversial claim. And he, you know, many of the things that Smith mentions in this book are absolutely true. I thought it was interesting that he had kind of an interesting relationship with the feminist movement in that he thought that women were very powerful and he predicted that women would become more powerful than men in the future. And yet he like wasn't exactly a feminist either. So it's a kind of interesting. And then he also, uh, he was very attracted to eugenics as many people were in the early part of the 20th century. So I think like to me, it was, it was good for me to like sort of pop back into the actual, who this guy actually was and thinking about how Smith portrays his rags to riches to rags story and then also like how he's been really, really picked up in the popular imagination, really starting in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. He was kind of the guy who didn't get credit for stuff. He didn't become the household name, unlike Marconi and Einstein, but he did have these fascinating ideas, but they were like pretty wide ranging. He had, he had all those patents they basically unleashed on the public. He certainly had an uh, impact on society. He wasn't the salesman uh, as as Edison was the salesman. He, he didn't have the promotion arm of like Westinghouse, and, and it just didn't seem to happen on that same level. 
he needs what Elon Musk kind of has, an, an aura about him and a platform to release it to the, the, the public. That and, personal branding, that idea that you know Elon Musk so well from his public persona. When we say Elon Musk, there's not anybody who's listening to the show right now who goes, who? Because he is this character. Tesla didn't have that. So, so Elon Musk, the, the founder of The Boring Company? Mm-hmm. He's got a flamethrower. The boring company has a flamethrower, a boring flamethrower. Got it. (laughs) And then let me ask you, why do you think there's been a resurgence of interest in this person who didn't brand himself well at the time, but was working in very similar ideas to the ones that really did get picked up with, you know, a substantial, iconic scientist figures? I'm going to go straight to conspiracy theories and having a platform like YouTube and the internet available allows amateurs to go and research. And you you only have to pick up a little bit of truth and you can put a whole bunch. I mean, he's such a mysterious character. Um, He had such a uh, sad ending to his life. And I mean, on, on the grand scheme, I mean, as a business person, you would say, what JP Morgan did to him is a great example of what venture capital firms, the challenges they run through. You put your funding gets pulled and you're nobody. And it sounds like it, from reading this, this book that it had to do a lot with Marconi and uh, JP Morgan said, Hey, listen, Marconi came out with the radio. I'm putting all my resources behind him. I'm abandoning your research. And um, I think that a little bit had to do with, you know, just kind of, how things lined up and where um, Tesla's priorities are. And once again, you, just, you, you kind of create this aura of unknowing. I absolutely agree with you, Chip, that 1990 is a turning point, a pivot point in knowledge. Our knowledge of history and culture and everything absolutely shifted with the advent of the World Wide Web right at that 1990 mark. And yeah, I can find out tiny little details about so many historic figures like Tesla, and you're right, I can run with my perspective, my tiny little shred of evidence, I can go, and that's how he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. No, wait, that was that was a different magician. <laughs> yeah, so the democratization of information is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. which has its pros and cons which is something that Jeff Smith seems to be looking at throughout this entire novel is that, you know, every new technology, even something so uh, seemingly beneficent as free energy has its pros and cons. There are, you know, there are various means um, to use, to use any kind of new idea or any new kind of technology. I really liked in the, um, in, in part 12, in chapter 12, the synchronicity chapter, Um, Tesla runs this oscillator experiment and smashes it because the whole neighborhood starts to quake. And you get like a picture of Tesla saying it would be so simple to split the world like an apple. He was so delighted by the experiment. He didn't notice the look of horror on their faces. And you see a bunch of people just looking at him like, "Uh, we don't want to split the world like an apple. That would be a bad idea, sir. (laughs) Yes. 
doesn't this go back to resurgence where they have the experiment where you know time stops and my first question is is like why are they going to replicate it and you guys were like well because they can and i'm going holy cow this mm-hmm. is this is tesla actually doing something and everybody has this look of horror on their face oh my god what's going to happen well and it's kind of fascinating that in this version in jeff smith's view of tesla he dies saying he has discovered something incredible. He had finished his complete theory of the universe and solved the cosmic puzzle, but then he dies without telling people what it is. And you wonder if he's the person who has no concept that there are ethical problems with his research. Why would he do that? Why would he claim he had something huge to say and then not tell it? There is certainly an ego involved there and and a bitterness um, when his funding was pulled, I think. And the other part is I do think that he, you know, rightly or wrongly felt he had tapped into something that was potentially dangerous. I think the book actually asked a question about, you know, why why Einstein and Tesla, Tesla's bitterness left him off the Manhattan Project and his ethics um, on how he, how at least the book tells us. But what what the other part is, is, it seems like that Albert Einstein and Tesla certainly should have been friends, should, certainly should have uh, batted ideas off of each other because they seem to complement each other a little bit. They seem to have been able to think on that type of scale. I'm not sure we always are friends with the people who study in the same field as us, which is one of the things that, that I think Smith does explore here. That is valid. Those those uh, personality tests and finding someone who has the same personality as you, sometimes we don't get along very well. Sometimes sure. we need to find the opposite. But there is a little bit of the difference in thinking between Tesla and Einstein as presented in this story. So it's amazing to me that Tesla has had such a real resurgence in pop culture tesla is known now it is amazing to me to think of what he symbolizes does he does he symbolize knowledge and science does he symbolize the uh kooky way that we can find truth in the universe does he symbolize that underdog that we're pulling for that gets boy does he get his uh, ideas smashed by the the big corporation there's a lot of stuff going on in that fantasy of tesla let let me back up also and and mention this this is pre-cold war Mm -hmm. and so you know the united states and great britain and Soviet Union have made an arrangement of convenience, getting ready to build up to World War II. You know, the Manhattan Project's going on, they're going to build an atom bomb, um, but Tesla says he has tapped into, I don't know, the energy of the world, whatever that thing is, and the United States government is not listening to him, and so he goes out and presents the same findings through letters, to Great Britain, and then also to the Soviet Union. Well, both Great Britain and the United States recognize that there was a convenience factor of, of aligning themselves with the Soviet Union at the time. And ultimately, you know, when we find out about that, history shows that we have the Cold War as the result. 
it's interesting the the when the meeting was to take place the next day tesla dies the day before Very and convenient. then the and the government comes in and uh, who whoever the, the the group is but anyway wraps up all of his what is left of his note notebooks because his original research was lost a, you know, a number of years ago in a fire, but whatever the latest thing he was working on, it was all wrapped up. And those were the MacGuffin that I guess was part of the story. And it was in a plastic bag. The end. <laughs> why, why not, Steve? Why not? Listen, it's, it's a, it's a wonder uh, product that may or may not be able to be recycled. That's right. <laughs> and Chip, I like that you remind us that this is happening in the interregnum period. So everyone's kind of has their eye on like, what are the military applications to any new technologies? And here we get, you know, an exploration of a number of military technologies, including those from artificial intelligence, the notion of robot soldiers, and then the death ray, a weapon to end all wars, which is the particle accelerator. Steve, did you catch that? We got a $5 world there. Our listeners can, can improve their vocabulary by listening to this. We want to thank Pam for that. I, I like the one before the the beneficial. What was the beneficial word, Pam? Beneficiary. Oh dear, I don't know. You said you said a big word, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm getting smarter by listening to a podcast." <laughs> <laughs> beneficial. I don't know. I don't know that Tesla was a benefactor to anyone. <laughs> now. Steve, I bet you noticed some comparisons between Tesla and your favorite scientist of all time, Victor Frankenstein. Yes, I, I really enjoy how Jeff Smith is bringing us into this story, showing us how this character of Tesla is equatable to those other scientists throughout history. And yes, stealing the sun, the power, the energy from the gods, that Prometheus that is Frankenstein is once again here. And once again, it's the movie, 1931, not the book. We're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that book. <laughs> it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really like the line. I think his discovery scared even him. Sometimes Frankenstein has to kill his own monster. And that is the sort of explanation that's given for why Tesla doesn't share his discovery. Is it? I I don't I don't exactly buy that because I think that he was quieted when he had some sort of breakthrough not he decided not mm -hmm. to share it he was shut down when he discovered something i don't know that that narrative is is right. equatable there well and i think it's given as an example but i think that we the reader have plenty of possible explanations to think about and and, and if you're going to quiet something down now Who's to say it's not rediscovered 10 years from now or 20 years? He may be ahead of the curve, but can you be that far ahead of the curve? Uh, the story of Tesla says that he was. The story sure. of Tesla, and, and it's a fiction. It is a character, this Tesla, right. says that he was so far ahead of the curve, he may have discovered something so mythic that we still, to this day, don't have access to it. Oh, possibly. Possibly. Maybe not. Maybe It's maybe. attractive, but unlikely. I mean, I agree with you, Chip. I think it's highly unlikely. It well. makes for good storytelling, though. It certainly does. And, you know, what do we get from this? We get the Philadelphia experiment. 
um, that takes place in, in Norfolk, where um, supposedly a military ship uh, is uh, moved from Norfolk, Virginia to Philadelphia and back. And we get it on a grander scale in this where that type of uh, situation ended up happening with a town. Is it the Sells, Arizona town? Uh-huh. And the graphic nature of that part of the storytelling was disturbing. We've got yes. these people and animals that are, you know, either multiple parts of themselves or standing next to themselves or I- embedded in the road itself. That was a pretty disturbing idea there on those pages. And, and that was lifted from the quote-unquote leaked documents or wherever they had it from the Philadelphia Experiment, where when the ship arrived wherever it arrived and came back, uh, people uh, went mad, people were embedded into the side of the ship, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of things happening there. The difference between this you know, pseudo-history, the Philadelphia Experiment, and this one that... that um, that Jeff Smith is showing us is we're getting multiple realities. So, you know, the dog has four or five heads instead of one head. Mm-hmm. Um, the person may be turned inside out, but there may be two or three people part of that. Oh, it was it, The idea of the Philadelphia experiment, if we take as wrote that that happened and that is true, not just fiction, the idea that then science would replicate that. We would try to do it again. And here is the result of that in Jeff Smith's work. Yeah. It, it really does go back to that question of is science for science's sake going to save us or destroy us. And I think that Sal is another character who kind of wrestles with that. So obviously Tesla is the historical character. Mm -hmm. Sal, who actually, I've been saying that Sal actually is an acronym of RASL, uses the letters, but I guess also using the letters from Tesla, I'm just noticing now. Um, but, But Sal is an actual like antagonist character fictional, totally fictional, who puts into play some of Tesla's ideas. And so I think that near the end of of the novel in chapter 14, closer to the center, Russell says, after we're talking about this very, very gruesome experiment in cells, those aren't side effects. Those are other universes with real people made of flesh and blood. And Sal goes crazy. He says, no, those are not other universes. They are manifestations of energy. They're not real, not real. Ours is the only universe. And this kind of reminds you, I think, of the project of eugenics, of this notion that a certain group of people can say, we're superior, we make the decisions. And this idea that like our universe is better than other universes, in fact, so much better than those other universes aren't even real. So those are the two worldviews that I think Russell and Sal represent is this notion of respecting all different kinds of beings across universes or having this clear sense of hierarchy. I'm not particularly, I don't think Jeff Smith does a particularly good job at making the case for Sal. And I really think that it should have been explored a little bit more because Really, according to, to Sal, these beings who can think like humans, who can act like humans, um, are on these alternate realities. 
they're not given human rights, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're basically said, according to Sal, they're not real. Mm -hmm. And isn't that, I mean, it, how, how, what a fascinating argument. And, and you could think about any time in history where one group has dominated another group where they have not, and the argument is, well, they don't have human rights. Even though they can think like humans, they act like humans. In fact, DNA-wise, they are human. Mm -hmm. But somehow they've convinced themselves that these aren't real. But, I mean, is, the, is energy real or not? I mean, there's the other part. I mean, we start getting into, like, the deep philosophy areas where, you know, I, don't, I have enough knowledge to know that I have none, right? No, but I mean, I think, like, Sal is the villain and he believes a completely abhorrent idea. So sure. how much deeper Jeff Smith had to go into that? Like, we know it's not okay to think that people don't have rights. I, I, I agree, but, though. But, I think but, like, I don't know. But, but are the alternate realities real or not? Mm -hmm. Yes, they we are. Don't, we, we, we know this because our protagonist tells us so. We know that Russell knows stuff. Okay. No, and quantum physics. No. And quantum physics has this idea that there are multiple universes. The idea is scientifically reasoned out in our universe right now, that there are such things as multiple universes, and quantum physics proves that, if you can trust quantum physics. Well, quantum physics is a theory that hasn't been disproved. Well, okay. Then but the burden of proof is on the believer, though. It's, it has, it, that's not science. Science is not, uh, you don't, you don't, well. Quantum the physics. Person makes, the person who makes the argument has to prove the, the argument. I am fascinated by quantum physics and the idea of how perception makes things real. And without perception, things are not real. They cannot be until they are perceived is fascinating to me. That seems like fantasy but that's how we believe quantum physics works it's also philosophy right this has been a question for thousands of years in philosophy like what is reality to what degree is reality constructed through perceptions versus through something outside of perception you guys didn't tell me to light my uh, lava lamp on. This is science, dude. This is, <laughs> this is not. This is not anything other than the real science that's happening right now. We haven't gotten into quantum computing in this conversation at all. But the idea of quantum computing is taking on this idea of the super position not on or off not one or zero but both zero and one simultaneously and the running current theory for real in science is that that is an alternate dimension where it's on here and it's off there and that's how it is simultaneously both things that bleeding through of the realities certainly mm -hmm. in fact jeff smith certainly discusses it in this book too so what what do you think jeff smith is saying about gender and relationships here chip because we get some interesting play so we we immediately learned that maya is Alive, al she's alive. <laughs> and, and what do we know? Is is she the? Um, is, is Jeff Smith saying that the women are the evil part of this? I mean, what is she? She's between the two sciences. 
again, this seems to be a, a hey, let's wrap this up moment <laughs> where, and the bad guy was <gasps> Maya the whole time. Okay, thank you, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs> was she playing both sides of the relationship between her and her husband, Miles, and Rassel? Can't trust women. That's what I learned from this book. <laughs> thank you, Jeff Smith. <laughs> I, I, I don't think we can defend this, Steve. We need better just shut up. We'll never, no, no more conversation about that. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was disappointed. Guys, like, I'm, I'm not disappointed that Maya was an antagonist, but I did think that it wasn't, it wasn't very well signposted. Is that a fair thing to say? Agree. I agree. Uh, sure. Although she's in between that. the two scientists. But, she's, okay. But she took best friends and kind of created secrets between them. Okay, but she switched to a different universe. She took one of the T-suits and she jumped to a different universe and she became a curator of a museum in the desert. Like, really? That's wait, what, really? Wait, wait, waiting for, I don't know, did she put a beacon out or something like that? So so he would just happen to stumble across this? It, was this or a was, master plan that she was waiting, she was setting a trap for Rassel in the desert? Maybe this had something to do with this maze. You know, uh, human is on the outside of the maze, and as they move towards the center, they get closer and closer. And I, maybe that wasn't um, particularly strongly put together. May, I mean, and it does kind of raise that sort of idea of noir, right? There is this throughout. There's a little bit of noir going on, and you think of this what you're calling the MacGuffin, and I like that term, but also you have this object, which is ill-defined, Nikola Tesla's journals. We don't know what's in them, but it's very important. And it's the thing that everyone wants. In some ways, I mean, that's the Maltese Falcon mm-hmm. from the Dashiell Hammett story of Sam Spade. And so the Maltese Falcon, you have like the dangerously seductive woman, and then the Maltese Falcon was never real, you guys, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. People have killed each other and spent their entire lives on it, but it really wasn't, it didn't have the value that people placed upon it, which raises questions of value, just like money itself. But, you know, this, this idea of like, what is in Tesla's journals, which we don't ever see, the only thing we get is the, the, the concentric circles that we already got from the, the God figure. The, the Venn diagram. The, this is important. This may not be important. This is where they intersect. This means something. This is important. Right. So, but, but anyway, it, it, so it does kind of draw upon noir sensibilities and the femme fatale, right? That idea that women have this power through their sexuality and that they, in a way, it is giving giving Maya more power than women tended to be given in the 1930s and 40s. But at the same time, it's the power that she uses for evil. I don't know what to do with that. But she chose the name Uma, so she did her Wikipedia and found out that Uma means the one. There you go. Dun-dun-dun. She did that. <laughs> So back to God for a moment, Pam, you, you and this zombie child had an interesting adventure and boy, the end of the zombie child is kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I thought it was so interesting when she just kept popping back up when she's killed. I thought that was really visually 
great, actually. That was one of my favorite visual sections. Really, all of the scenes with multiples, I think they sort of raise the uncanny as we talked about doppelgangers. And it's funny because he takes it one step forward by jamming doppelgangers together and showing visually that fear or anxiety that someone who's too much like us could actually be a threat to us. But I felt like those, he did a fantastic job because those scenes were so gruesome. I could just barely look at some of those pictures. But I did think that, you know, you can't kill God. You can't kill the zombie child. You can't kill hope, right? Whatever that, whatever that creature represents. And not, not that God can be defined, but it just seems like there was, some, there was something else we needed to learn about this child, God, before we got to this this part, there's something that was missing in between there, in my opinion. And I, I don't think that Smith ever explored it. Why does she keep popping up alternate realities? When this child gets killed over and over and over and over, why is the, the corpse, why are the corpses still there? If it was God, the one God, why not just work with one? Uh, and, and there's just, there's something that I don't think ever gets really explained real well. I mean, in a way, the leaving the corpses there is a visual representation of the antagonist's powerlessness, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, you can kill me as many times as you want. See, you already killed me this many times. I'm still here. But, but Chip, going back to your point about the structure of this, I think the kindest thing we can say about the ending is that Jeff Smith really gives the reader a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to do so much interpretation on this ending. I think it leaves us feeling like, hmm, did I do exactly the work that that was intended here? Because I'm not quite sure that I did. Including that character who pops up in the end. And I honestly had forgotten that this character existed. That is... Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not Robert Zimmerman. Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> the character of Kalani, who oh, yes. is the security chief, who yes. was introduced in a dark room behind a dark desk, very noir, back in part two. She pops up in a lab coat, and I'm like, who's that? Oh, she, <laughs> she's in a lab coat. Now she's working with this part of the science, as opposed to the security part, the back room uh, dealings that was going on there i agree i mean we were introduced to a character and you're going wait a minute um do i know this character or not there was nothing to to if you had a movie you would have to go back and edit something in to make it much more pronounced there's a lot of heavy lifting that the reader has to do here and there's there's at least one bow that was not placed that is the president of the street whatever happened to him where's that character is he okay is he a part of this is he is he uh metatron he sees the voice of god what's going on is he off in another universe eating a clark bar we don't know okay so we get to the clark bar (laughs) ending you knew that we were going to get to the clark bar ending uh boy what what a fun (laughs) piece of of nostalgia to put that in there is it a fun piece of nostalgia or it's just an oddity? Could it have been a Reese's uh, peanut butter cup? Like, <gasps> would it made it any different? It would have been completely different. Are you comparing a Clark bar to a Reese's peanut butter cup? I don't even know what's in a Friend. Clark bar. 
But it could have been a Baby Ruth, or it could have been a uh, a Butterfinger. It could have been a Snickers bar. I mean, guys, do you think that the Clark bar is the lesser known candy bar? Just like Tesla is the lesser known scientist. Do we overlook the mighty Clark bar? And its conspiracy potentials. That was totally what I was thinking. I was totally thinking, you know all about the Baby Ruth. You know all about the Reese's. Let's go to the lesser known, overlooked, and that is the metaphor for Tesla. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. We're, let's just, we're, we're stretching there. Let's go with that. That seems like that we've, we've got ourselves a plausibility, enough plausibility. Let's go with it. That's that's basically all of part four, isn't it? Is we have to do all of this extra thinking. We don't get a really strong narrative in part four. It's just ended. And it, it's kind of frustrating. I'll, I'll say that too, because you, you you see the possibility right there. He's he set up this story. He certainly did some research. In fact, at the end of the, uh, the story in the credits, he shows you all the programs he watched, the books he used. Um, where he was pulling information from, even Google uh, documents that he was pulling from to be able to write the story. I think he did the research. I think he put together the structure of the story. And then the execution was, you know, ham-fisted at times. I'm still really glad we read this. I think it was a lot of fun. I thought the art was incredible. I agree. And I would... I would recommend this um, with with the exact caveat chip that you gave us, which is that it doesn't have the strongest ending in the world. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I mean, Stephen King has been known for years, right? And people still read Stephen King's all the time. Uh, not I'm this reading Stephen King's one. latest book as we speak. It's called Later. Yeah, no, nope. <laughs> I'll read it later. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait for I'll wait for the library to have it. I am not investing in that title. Thank you. You'll have to tell me if it's any good. I'm enjoying it. All right. So we we know that your recommendations are strong, Pam. So it's your turn to recommend our next book for the book club. What are we reading next month? All right, guys. So I'm going off script. I had already decided a number of amazing books I wanted you guys to read. And I read something in the last couple weeks that I found super interesting. And I'm not sure how good it is. And so I thought, ooh, I want to reread it right away and read it with my friends and see what people think. So I would like us to read Kim Stanley Robinson's 2020 novel. It's called The Ministry for the Future. It's long, so I should let you know we have a whole month, so this is good. This is a book that that's part of this new-ish genre of cli-fi. So it's climate fiction. I think it's a really, really important book. Now, as you guys know, I am a person who uh, really enjoys the administrative part of my job. I enjoy spreadsheets. I enjoy crunching the data. I enjoy sitting in a boardroom with a bunch of other people and thinking, how, what are the, what are the different ways that we can deal with this problem? So I really liked this book, but I'll be curious what you guys think. It moves between some serious adventure and some very serious boardroom conversations. Oh boy. With a little bit of a warning to you. I'm, I'm really, really excited to get your honest opinion on this novel. It's uh, as I say, it's, it's quite a long one. It's in 108 chapters. So I went through and tried to divide it well. So for week one, we'll read chapters one through 29. 
It's only in hardcover right now. I went to order my paperback and they said, we'll deliver it to you on October of 2021. <laughs> so, um, so that's page 122 in, in the uh, hardcover version. So I, I just looked up the you. audible on this. It is and, a 20, it's about 21 hours. So, yes. you know, so for our readers who are going to do audible, you know, you're looking at about five hours uh, uh, a week for it. So an hour a day, if you wanted wow. to at regular speed. So, but what I really regular was, speed, wait, do you listen to audible at regular speed? Uh, never, not, not, <laughs> no, not, I ever. do not. <laughs> but the other part about this, this was released October of 2020. So you could not ask for a more timely story. Uh, it is something that certainly my, my daughter is a freshman at a big state university and climate change seems to be something that all universities are addressing with their student population. How, um, and so obviously books, this, I'm excited, at least we're, 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 we're going to something very contemporary. Yes. And, and very, very important and timely, as you say, Chip. Yeah, because today is Kim Stanley Robinson's 69th birthday. That's why it's timely. Happy birthday <laughs> to the author of our next book. He, he was born in... <laughs> All I'm going to say is Bill and Ted have something to say about that. <laughs> 69, dudes! <laughs> he was That's born in Waukegan. That's he right. was. Yes, he was born in Waukegan, Illinois on this date in 1952. So happy birthday, Kim Stanley Robinson. We I look forward to the episode one board meetings uh, that Pam is bringing to us. If it's episode one board meetings, Pam, I swear to you. The opening is so strong. It's it, okay. Whatever. It, this is a <laughs> book, even though there might be times where you you kind of wonder. And I would also just note that the Audible book is exceptionally well narrated and produced, and it has won audio awards. The Audis. It has won nice. awards at the Really? Mm -hmm. and it's very, very, very well done. So I highly recommend the audio, which is how I read it the first time. I'm going to read it in hardcover this time. Okay. At regular speed. Indeed. At regular speed, of course. When you read at regular speed. <laughs> Fantastic. I look forward to this. I, I I absolutely think that you are wonderful, Pam, and I know that your expectations for my uh, ability to read a smart book are high. Um, I hope that I will live up to your, <laughs> your expectations on this intelligent book. Uh, then we can get back to the Muppets. There you go. You get Steve. to choose next, Steve. <laughs> That's right. It's going to be a Muppet. All Muppets. <laughs> There's a monster at the end of this book. That is our... Okay. Oh, <laughs> only I, only if I can be Uncle Deadly. That, that'll be my, my character. <laughs> I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. As Uncle Deadly. Good. I'm glad that you previewed that for us. What do you think, Pam? I'm excited to hear what you guys think. <laughs> Wonderful. Join us. We would love to hear from you. Get your copy of Kim Stanley Robinson's The Ministry for the Future. We will start reading chapters 1 through 29 for next week. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-410-4867. We have a website, sandwichesatirregularhours.com. Our email is sandwichesatirregularhours at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and YouTube. I want 
I want to thank you again for listening to Sandwiches at Irregular Hours. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hasselblad. And I'm Pam Bedore. We'll see you in the future. What do you think, Chip? I'm just shoot. You're not Chip. You're you're Lady Chip. Ooh. <laughs> Lady Chip? What?